This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a couple of my buddies with me that I train with all the time, so I've actually been looking forward to this uh, podcast for quite a while. I have uh, two uh, trainers from other agencies that I've known for years now, and we have done tons of training together over the years, as well as a lot of deployments. So I brought them with me today, we're sitting together today on a training day, uh, to sit down and talk about uh, doing large multi-agency area searches, and basically handling large events when uh, uh, large uh, large deals happen in your agency we in our state have done a couple of big uh, um, trainings we did one large one quite a few years back and we're going to talk about that today talk about what the training was how that training came about and then how it benefited uh, the three of us that are going to be on the podcast today how it uh, benefited us you know in real life situations so with that I'm going to introduce a couple of my friends so first off I have uh, Gilbert Abdullah from Adams County Colorado Gilbert how are you today Doing good, and you? Good. Can you, uh, just for everybody on here listening, could you just kind of go over your background about canine and your whole law enforcement background? Yeah, I uh, I've started with the Adams County Sheriff's Office as a, a deputy in 2001. Um, in 2004, I came to the canine unit, which I've been there since, so I've, on my 18th year uh, with the canine unit. In the last 10 years, I've served as the uh, unit trainer for our agency's unit. And how many dogs do you guys have right now? We currently have 10, um, two assigned to our jail, a single-purpose dog in our courthouse, and the rest are uh, patrol narcotics and then one patrol explosives dog. So right now you're working a dual-purpose dog, but you also spend a great deal of your hours every day, every shift, uh, training new dogs, it seems like? Yes. So you, uh, And Adams County, uh, for people who don't know Denver, it's a pretty busy agency. Oh, yeah. We... Uh, our southern border is Denver's northern border, so we have a lot of spillover and uh, stuff that happens. And I always say we're the bottom of the funnel, that crimes happen all throughout the Denver metro area, but the suspects always end up in Adams County <laughs> somehow, some way. That's about true. So, so I, and I just mentioned that does, just so people who don't, don't know who you are um, know that, you know, besides being a 10-dog unit, which is a decent-sized unit, obviously, you have a lot of experience in a lot of different uh, areas and and have been deploying dogs for a long time are you on your third or fourth dog now uh technically fourth uh, one i sent back but yeah. third one working that straight through worked for a long time i'll do a purpose so yeah also i have uh, brian lost from our Bata pd how are you doing today brian i'm good jeff how about you i'm doing good so uh can you go over your background too well i've been in law enforcement coming up on 30 years next month or so and i've been in canine for 24 years uh working my seventh dog right now and uh, you're the unit trainer as well? So. I am. I've been the trainer for a few years, um, and our unit currently is comprised of three dogs. Um, two are narcotics patrol, and one is a gun dog and shell casings patrol dog. Okay. And I think relevant, too, besides the three of us being friends on and off duty and that we've obviously uh, all been trainers together and, and gotten together over the years, another relevant thing that we all have in common is that all of us have been uh, board members of the Colorado Police Canine Association. I know, Brian, you're past president, and Gilbert, you're current president of the CPCA. And I mentioned that because uh, the training that I mentioned where we set up a large multi-agency area search, we did that through a CPCA training night. So once a quarter or so, the CPCA will sponsor a training night, and, and an agency will step up and set up some some type of training and kind of put extra effort into that training. and. All three of us have been involved in different times of setting up those training nights and, and try to come up with you know unique stuff for, for people, almost like a one-day seminar type of stuff. So I think it was about uh, 2004 or five when uh, Gilbert, I think we had a large neighborhood in Adams County that you guys had. If you can kind of just kind of go over the neighborhood that, and what, how we ended up getting that neighborhood. Uh, yeah, it was out in the country uh, just north of Denver International Airport. So it was a, like a secluded neighborhood that was about to be torn down because of the noise ordinances. Uh, for the airport. For the airport, yeah. 
and uh, so we had the luxury of having yards and houses and everything still intact um, as if it was a, a livable uh, neighborhood yeah. that we could deploy in. And it, it was uh, most of those lots, if I remember right, were about three quarters to maybe a, a full acre. Yeah. Each one of them. And it was, was it two blocks by about four blocks long or something? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it, it, I remember the first time I went out there, I was blown away to think that we can start doing yard to yard searches. And the nice thing about that area is it's so far out of town that um, it hadn't been taken over by homeless people or vandalism or anything. It was just kind of like the time that land forgot or t land that time forgot, I should say, sitting out there waiting for us to train on it. And I think uh, your agency used that for a couple of years, didn't you? Or yeah, we or had a lot of our in-service training out there. Um, it was nice because the outbuildings were still intact and uh, you're able to get real-world training but still be yeah. away from people and safety issues. So after we had been out there a few times training with you guys, um, I don't know how it all came up, but I know the three of us and as well as several other people all kind of jumped in and we decided to set up um, a large multi-agency area search. And some of that for me, what, one of the reasons I wanted to come and do that was I teach a, a tactical area search class and a big chunk of that class is talking about doing multi-agency searches when, um, and basically, you know, a lot of times where this is gonna come into play is maybe if you have an officer that's down, that's when the whole cavalry is gonna come into your area, or it's gonna be in a neighboring agency and you're gonna be part of that responding cavalry. And we had had a few instances like that and, and thought maybe we could have done better on, on some of that um, response. So with that, as and part of this podcast is, you know, I, I kind of want people to understand that as dog handlers, whether you're a trainer, a supervisor, a dog handler, when these big events happen, a lot of times we have a big piece of that pie to take care of because we are the experts in setting the perimeters. We're the experts in, in kind of how to clear this perimeter. And all the people with pay grades far above us are going to be busy dealing with other things. If it's an officer down and, and you know, it's not going to be a good outcome, uh, pay grades above us will be dealing with families and a lot of other things bigger than trying to you know catch the person who did it so my experience has been a lot of times that that the tactical teams and the canine units kind of take over the the parts that we're good at which has worked out good but when we were looking at that that neighborhood we had the opportunity to set up a, a cpca a colorado police canine association training night so we i know that uh, we invited all the agencies out there we put one or two decoys out into an area basically made it an officer officer has been shot bad outcome with the officer and here's a huge perimeter and we had every agency that wanted to come came so i i would guess we must have had seven probably six seven different agencies mm -hmm. um several sheriff's agencies as well as several local departments and then uh, we had brought out um our from our agency we brought out uh, the mac truck which is a multi-area command center truck that let at the time uh, some of our radios didn't talk to each other as well as they do now so we had communication and then we had quite a few agencies brought their own SWAT teams. You know, we did a, a, lar a large safety check. Um, we know we got there early, but we basically set it up to bring all the resources in that we would need on a real deal so that all those places can, could uh, practice. And I'll mention the Mack truck. Um, it was something that our agency had, but I don't know how many times it had been deployed and we asked them to come and they actually had a little bit of trouble getting their stuff set up and getting ready. So it was just that's just an example of if you're going to set up this kind of training, bring every resource that's going to be there the night that this happens in the middle of the night so they also can practice. This isn't just a dog search. This is about set, coordinating the uh, response, coordinating all the way down to parking, you know, don't block the streets, everything that you could think of. Set that up on your training night and, and have it, you know, start well in advance. So I, I would say... Uh, what we did then is I know we had an overhead map of it and we kind of I know Doug and I uh, who was one of the our handlers and was heavily involved in setting this up I know we kind of set up a few scenarios and put people out in the neighborhood and then we uh, I think it was Doug that was deploying teams just uh, randomly and it was it was making teams work together making dogs that didn't know each other be around each other making uh, agencies take cover officers that they didn't know similar to what's going to happen in the middle of a tragic situation kind of a ad hoc search teams and make them all go down range and start searching and I think that night we learned a few things and some went well some went not so well you know um, what do you remember about that Brian 
I know that it was the biggest thing was the communication part. Yeah. Um, so many people's radios didn't talk to each other and that kind of thing. So it was almost how do you figure out line of sight communication, which in the technology that we've got now, we kind of forget that. But yeah. you've talked about it in any of the major incidents you go to now in the metro area. We almost usually have some kind of channel that we can move to, but we always have to plan for that contingency of not being able to do the communication. That was a big uh, hampering thing. Sure, and, and I think we're fortunate in our area, and I think more agencies are probably similar to us, but you know, if you're listening to this and you work for an agency that maybe you still have some odd radio or whatever, you know, if you're involved in all this, just know that when you get there, you might not be on the same channel as everybody else, so you're either going to have to grab an officer that has your channel so you can be part of your search team or get a radio or do something, but communications that night was more of a challenge, and I would say that now, you know, more than 15 years later, it's not really a big deal anymore when we have these. Right. What about you, Gilbert? Do you remember anything big about that? Uh, the communication and then um, just making sure, if not knowing the area, is staying in your area of responsibility yeah. and not cross crossing over um, because we didn't have the communication that we could talk to each other and overlap areas of responsibility um that part was a little bit difficult but we ended up and i think that that i think that was something that some of the teams had to learn like the way that we do searches in our um, agency we're very familiar with having an aor and sticking to it but i think some people maybe weren't as used to that so i think that was something that that they learned you know that night that you know you stay in your aor and 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 clear your aor because you're you're expected to clear this area on the map and make sure it's completely cleared. I think one of the things that that was that I liked about it was there was teams that maybe through other trainings I thought would be stronger, and then they didn't seem quite as strong when they were put out there because it was a little bit of a stress. I mean, I'd say I don't know what the number was. It probably 200 cops out there that night at least yeah. with the SWAT teams and stuff. So I think there some people showed some stress and and there wasn't anything actually going on it was just training so I, I think what one of the things that that drove home to me is by training together and getting to know people all over the, your your area and having training groups and sometimes leaving your training group and going to other training groups as as leaders in your area if you're the trainers or if you're one of the veteran handlers I think getting to know handlers from all over your area is vitally important. So when you're tasked with, and we're going to talk about like a couple of instances we've been involved in, when you're tasked with those things, you kind of know which teams you actually want to put out in the real deal. And I, that training, I think, kind of showed us what agencies, you know, I know there was a couple of the SWAT teams that showed up that I was highly impressed with. I mean, they showed up, and I think, you know, we talk about uh, train train the way that we're going to deploy and and some of the SWAT teams I think took it very seriously and showed up with all their equipment all their gear and were ready to take you know the training very seriously and other guys were standing around t-shirts and it kind of just showed me what the the mentality was and and I I, I liked you know that we got to see everybody a little bit uh, bigger teams when we were doing our training. It was also good to see uh, or to to be able to work through I know in my team I had uh, uh, some members of a SWAT team just west of us um, near the foothills and they started getting off on their own hunting expeditions rather Tra- than yeah, searching being my own. cover officer yeah. or sticking with the team itself um, and then they learned real quick when well, when almost got bit Yeah, uh, you need to listen to the handler uh, we have areas of responsibility but more importantly let the handler work the dog and don't venture off on your own yeah um, to stick together as a team, basically. So that was the one thing I did take away from that. Yeah. I think he's he hit the big thing is it's no independent movement around. You're assigned something, and then you do a check back of, hey, what's next? Yeah. Without, you know, we tried to do things methodically, and that's how we did it right. So yeah. that, I don't want to say cowboy, but, you know, yeah. people just wanting to roam around. We all want to find them, but at that same time, you find out the importance of being able to move the whole group. And I think when we're just doing, you know, your average, you know, say Wednesday night dog training and we maybe have an abandoned building, you don't, it, things like that don't get exposed quite as much. I think when, you know, that, that area, that, that had to be, you know, about a mile and a half by about two miles wide. So we had um, a massive area. And when you start spreading a bunch of teams out, 
and they have large areas to cover, then I think you can tell which teams are moving efficiently as a team and which, you know, it seemed like the, the ones where, um, I know because we were in the first one we did, we were staying back and directing the teams and you could tell which handlers were frustrated. Just you could hear it on their voice, which ones they were frustrated because they weren't allowed to be out searching with their dog because they had to keep trying to direct their cover officers into doing what they should be doing as opposed to just searching the way we do. So hopefully, you know, and it seemed like that a lot of those cover officers also learned how to be better cover officers. So the training, it was a lot to set up, but to me it was some of the best training we ever did around here because, you know, I think uh, besides, you know, the dogs getting to see a whole new picture, us practicing the communication and the area search part of it. Some of the agencies around here don't really do yard to yard area searches, so it was good to expose them to it good to bring in a bunch of cover officers and um, while it was a kind of a big undertaking I think that it it helped you know a, a lot of us then and then you know it paid dividends so you know years in advance so um, you guys have anything more on the training on that no it's just when you're talking about it now and I'm thinking about it it's like it re makes you realize the things that we need to redo a training yeah. like that but to add all the technology, the drones, getting yeah. so used to the drones and, and the robots that so many people use now. So it, it just makes you realize yeah. that because so many departments may or may not utilize drones, you know, yeah. and being able to be directed by a, yeah. a thermal drone or something like that. It's like, you know yeah. what? It's still so many things you always have to think about even now Yeah, just to throw in there. And I can't remember, did we have our helicopter up that night? I thought I think we did, didn't we? And they, so the guys could talk to our helicopter. I don't think we did because of the remember. airport was yeah. right there in the flight. I path. couldn't remember if we did or not, but that's a, it's an excellent point. So, you know, that was quite a while back, and technology's changed. But also in our area, even though we're all still around, the uh, there's a whole bunch of new handlers. So we were before this podcast, we were all talking about how we're going to reset this up, and and Gilbert has an amusement park that we're probably going to use in the springtime. So you can find areas where you can do. A huge area so the amusement park that he has is going to be it's a gigantic area and it might not be houses and yards but it could be an active shooter situation where maybe the park's cleared out and now we have to go find this guy in an amusement park it'd be the same thing where resources are going to come in and and by training before you're going to be a lot better prepared so uh, i guess one of the things i want to talk about tonight is some of the real life experiences so I know, Gilbert, uh, you had a deal in Adams County, and I think I'm just going to give you the mic and just kind of explain, you know, how, how this training, as well as other stuff, but, but what you use this for and, and kind of explain the whole incident that we're talking about. Yeah, so in uh, January 24th, 2018, um, we had an officer try to contact uh, a male who was part of a disturbance and uh, a little short foot pursuit ensued and in result was the uh, suspect got some shots off on our our deputy and he ended up losing his life um, over that so at that time I was actually off duty and uh, was called in and uh, to help set it up so when I had a handler on scene already and he began tracking but as chaotic as the scene was and the information was chaotic um, He'd started a track because we were told there was five suspects that ran in a certain direction. So he started a track for that. <clears throat> what ultimate turned into a, a huge perimeter and a huge um, area search for that. Uh, so by the time I got there, um, the incident commander basically told me I had a blank check. He just wants this person caught. So, so describe the. It, was this a neighborhood or a rural area? Or yeah. So it was a the, in the metro area. Um, standard neighborhood. Standard neighborhoods. Hou uh, just regular sized yards, houses, yeah. and pretty pretty straight streets up there. Yeah. So not one of those crazy curvy street neighborhoods. Correct. And um, having been involved in a lot of those kind of things, but maybe some of the listeners haven't. Um, can you just kind of describe, like, not just the phone call, but then when you turn the radio on, you're getting dressed it's it's I, I don't want to say chaos because it's almost a controlled chaos but there's so many moving parts and there's people who all over every agency that can kind of rise to those that that pressure and other ones who maybe aren't aren't getting the job done or whatever but can you describe kind of what was going on that night i mean did they have a plan yet as to how to contain this guy or what they were going to do um a lot of it was they were trying to figure out direction of travel yeah. Uh, they knew the house where the incident took place in the backyard. 
and then I don't think they knew which direction the suspect had ran at that point. Um, so as I was on my way, um, Heath was still alive, as far as I know. Um, yeah. But they said it didn't look good. But the, yeah, the radio was just chaotic of trying to set up the perimeter, outside agencies coming in because when that original call for help came in, uh, everybody in the northern metro area yeah. was on their way. So it was just trying to decipher, okay, which direction. I'm picturing the area in my mind of what I need to yeah. walk into and maybe hope set up, yeah. you know, on it. Um, but, yeah, it was just a lot of chatter and, and yeah. unknown yeah. different information going out uh, that wasn't positive information yeah. at the time. And we can talk, you know, and, and every time you do a large, whether it's tabletop exercise or these kind of things, one of the things that always goes, you know, down down the tube right away is radio discipline. That's just not going to change. I mean, it's mm. it's just not going to change. Some people have not been in those instances, and they're going to be broadcasting the weather and stuff on there. And I mean, so I think we have to just accept, you know, that's that's part of our profession. So I know you were probably trying to weed through, you know, all the different what what you need to do as you were going there. Were you planning at the time of getting out and searching for this guy? Or were you already thinking big picture that you were going to try and coordinate? Uh, actually, no. My my intentions was to get my dog on the ground yeah. with what information I was given and start a search and then start directing the rest of the handlers. While, while you were doing the search? While I was doing the search. Um, and then it wasn't at that point to where the command posts, then I yeah. clicked. I need to not deploy and then step back. And and just, just so everybody understands, maybe if they haven't been in that, you're there. This guy, you know this officer. Your emotions are mm-hmm. are, are as high as they're going to be. It, how 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 badly did you want to go down and be the one who found this suspect? I Absolutely. Mean, it, it was so, so that took, you know, training, a level of of maturity, you know, in your profession, to be able to say, wait a minute, maybe my best tools right now are going to be this big picture thing, even though I want to be going down there and hunting this guy, which is what we would all want to do. So. That was probably a little bit hard for you to say, you know what, let me just step in the command post, look at the perimeter, and maybe start directing it. Did you have a conversation with the supervisor at that time about? Um, yeah, I asked him basically what what, what is my availability. Um, we'd called for Air One at that point. Yeah. Um, and like I said, he, he gave me basically a blank check within reason. Um, so one of the first things I did was put out a metro-wide call yeah. for canine. Um, to the closest intersection so I can meet people. And then immediately after that, I started making phone calls. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the benefits of being in the CPCA is the networking and, yeah. and training with people that uh, they helped me out tremendously by I made three or four calls maybe. Yeah. And, and then, then they started branching out from there yeah. um, with the information. And then uh, before I knew it, I had 25 dog teams ready to go. And, and again, I think there's so many uh, agencies traveling around, I still see it a lot, where uh, agencies are a little bit insular either in just their agency, which is, I think, pretty detrimental, or they have a training group with three or four agencies, and then that they're just insular in that. I know that, you know, I, I train with you quite often. I know there's different agencies that are bouncing in or out with you because you're always out there training. And I think that that, you know, what were the benefits at that time? I mean, you knew uh, these 25 dog teams. You probably knew at least 23 or 24 of them personally, right? Oh, absolutely. So then you know who's who, kind of who, where you want to put these guys based on their strength and their tactical Ab- abilities. And That was the first thing that came to my mind is, uh, you know, the stronger dogs that I knew start placing them in strategic areas sure. that I wanted covered right away. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine being in that situation and just having a bunch of strangers show up and, and, you know, well, his car's shinier, so hopefully he's good or something and, and go kind of from there. So, uh, and I know, Brian, that night that, that we're talking about, you and I were together uh, training because we were training uh, a new dog over at that preschool. Oh, yeah. And, yep. and I think you left for that because it came over your radio first, the call for I think help. that and Gilbert and I somehow, I think I we think talked. We, I, think, I, I think I texted you. Yeah. I, yeah. And you said it's bad. So we started heading that way. Yeah. Um, what when you got up there, Brian? What was what was going on when you got there? We were trying to organize, and it was by 
um, trying to keep the teams together with their dogs so that the guys like we had so many different SWAT teams from different ages. Yeah. I remember we had some lined up from from Denver trying just yeah. waiting to go to work, but you know, trying to organize it in in a systematic way but then seeing if hey if we can get somebody with uh, a group that knows how to work with this dog that seemed to be a big thing to take yeah. out of hey less familiarity um get them comfortable with each other and then give them their assignments so trying to organize it by block i remember gilbert and i were talking and we started breaking it down by block as to how to do the searches on each side of the block and then how we're going to move the directions in which teams to do um, so it was just a big trying to get everything organized and orchestrated and with all the emotions that are going on in the, these events did either of you have a hard time you know based on you both have a ton of experience but the, by, the, by this night you both have a whole lot of experience and some a lot of training and stuff um did you have a hard time kind of slowing things down because in reality at this point we just need to lock this guy down and then go hunt him down you know but i think sometimes we all the emotions kind of start driving us i want to i want to just get my get my dog and start running around trying to find him and stuff so um i would imagine again that prior training probably kicked in for both of you like let's just figure out how we're going to do this the correct way yeah it i i had to tell myself to slow it down yeah um and not to just randomly place people so i started uh bringing up a map on the computer and I started uh, one of the things that I advocate for in my training with my new handlers is Google Earth. Yeah. Is, um, so I was bringing up Google Earth and start breaking down search areas that I wanted people in. Um, obviously, my agency was the first one to get that call, so they were getting there quicker sure. than most. So I started strategically putting our dogs yeah. close and then working outwards from there. And then, uh, But I had to tell myself to slow it down and yeah. not just rush things. Because I, I felt that uh, as coordinating this, I needed to account for teams and where people yeah. were. So when I was asked from above me, I can say, I know Brian Laws and his team yeah. is on this block going this yeah. direction. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of scribing on my end. and Sure. And, uh, but, yeah, I had to slow it down. And that's, a, again, you know, at the, when this stuff's going on, you've got command officers that are thinking about you know of course the family of course their agency and the big picture and you have people who are thinking the te detectives are thinking evidentiary and mm -hmm. you know start locking it down for this or that so the the person who was overseeing you know to me and to us because that's what we do you know an important part of catching this guy and hunting him down that was you even though your pay grade wasn't a command officer pay grade or anything like that but i'd like to emphasize that because i think if you do canine long enough, you're going to be in that position somehow. Or you're, and if you're not in that position, you're going to be responding to a neighboring agency, and you should recognize that another canine handler, who's not, you know, maybe not wearing gold or something, is still going to be trying to put this stuff together. And that's again why I, I stress, you know, having having the the familiarity. Um, Brian, uh, did you get a search area that night? I actually ended up doing the search area on the on the block. Um, Yes, where I think um, Deputy Gunn was actually shot. We ended up going through that whole block, um, and I worked uh, with one of Gilbert's teams because we were trying to uh, get all these teams put together, but I ended up working with Adams County's team, and we've worked enough. Yeah. Arvada is in Adams County, yeah. so we've worked with them enough that as we worked through that area, I was pretty much. And one of the big things was trying to mesh two styles, Let's say you've got a TAC team or a SWAT team. They're used to moving in a certain way. And then because of the danger yeah. of not knowing who's out there still, trying to make this where we mesh the canine with the tactical portion, that was where you have to slow down, even on a micro scale, yeah. slowing down your search team as to this is as fast as I can move safely. We're going to post up and yeah. those kind of things. And being able to communicate with those people. Um, it took a little bit of a yard or two, and then all of a sudden we're all on the same page. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's not even just – like I know Gilbert had his hands full, but even when you're moving with a team that yep. you're not used to, you have to slow that down too. Yeah. So that it's just you have to realize, okay, it's a different pace than what training yeah. or anything else is. Yeah, and I know like when I was still handling a patrol dog, we had – one of the times we had an officer that was, that was also murdered, um, and we went and did a, an area search, a huge area search. Um, that was one of the challenges was that as dog handlers, 
we do tons of area searches and then that night we had a bunch of SWAT guys with us who had not done as many area searches but they had their tactics were good but they weren't exactly the same as ours and trying to find that middle ground I mean I, I, I don't think there's any way you could say that the dog team should be in charge and tell those guys how to do it different because they're good at what they do their way and trying to tell them to change doesn't necessarily work that in the middle of that and trying to tell us to change when we're trying to work our dogs doesn't work so I think it goes back to a lot of this is having maturity and experience to be able to say you know what I can over overcome this it's not how I maybe want to search but I have a good tool here and even though I don't know who these guys are we're all going to take this nice and slow and kind of work through it. Well, and having the ability to say that, you know, we know that they have a different tactic, open field or something like yeah. that than we do. But when you're in a different situation, whether it's environment, whether something dictates it, when we know we're utilizing a locating tool that and there are reminder of, hey, how to do this safely. Yeah. You know, and that's where we tell them this is what our capabilities are. How do we work together on this? And, you know, it's usually the pace, yeah. I think, that is the biggest hassle. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I noticed that with our uh, SWAT team some of the times that have deployed. It's uh, they want to go in and it's hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah. Even though it's always should be slow. Uh, but sometimes I have to remind them and even the patrol folks that let the dog work. Let yeah. the dog work. Let him. He's a locating tool let me read him and then we'll yeah. go from there so we have to slow things down um to get that good read because yeah. we just can't blow through things with with the yeah. dog because we're going to miss something yeah and i've ran into the same but opposite i've ran into sometimes where i've had dogs that search pretty fast and you know he checks a yard and then i don't mind you double check and triple checking yeah but at some point we've got to mm -hmm. move on and sometimes we'll almost get an analysis paralysis and now my dog's frustrated so when we go to the next yard that's unclear He's all spun up and barking and not searching well. So there is a, a fine line where we got to keep the dog in drive and not getting frustrated, which is, you know, some of the dogs just fall out of drive and some get so spun up that either way they're not searching well in the next yard. So there is, you know, there is a give and take on all these. And I think going back to that initial training, if you can set up something like this, you're going to see some of these weaknesses with your SWAT team by saying this isn't our standard search one backyard on a training night now all of a sudden we're doing a huge area in training so then when you end up on this it, it might but I, I even think uh to prepare for this it even goes a step further as in-service training with your Absolutely. patrol folks good point because just like rapid deployment um that's not going to be a SWAT issue on these active shooters that's going to be the first line patrol getting there Excellent um, and, and same thing with with this type of incident um i was just grabbing patrol officers or deputies that i knew um and sending them yeah with people now some of those folks were on the tactical team and um i knew that eventually i'm gonna have to lose them to go yeah uh kid up with their people but um a lot of these initial searches are going to be with just patrol officers yeah. so having that in-service training with your patrol uh, division or your shift uh, is really beneficial yeah i think that's a great point i know like the incident i'm talking about and in my city, when when an officer murdered, one of the things that we had we had done a lot of roll call training. We have six districts, and I think when you break it down over our districts, it's something like thirty uh, roll calls a week or a day. I'm sorry, all over. So it takes a lot to hit all of our roll calls. But we had we had spent a lot of time hitting all of our district roll calls, and I know that when this officer was first when the call for help first came out, that a lot of officers, and I think through some of our roll call training that we put on ourselves instead of rushing right to the scene they started rushing to the neighborhood and i know that before we deployed we had a massive area search and just because the agents i work with in the agents i work for we have so many cops that man you couldn't go one block without seeing two and three cops on each corner there were so they but the cops took it on themselves as opposed to running to the scene and standing around doing nothing they started setting up this huge perimeter and they locked mm -hmm. it down very very tight for us so I think you're right. It, it starts there, you know, long before um, this night happens. You should have a relationship and talk, talk, talking to all the officers. So, And not only the officers, we talked about it because um, you, people don't realize the importance of training with sergeants, the street yes. level, because they're the ones that allocate the immediate deployment of the resources, how big of a perimeter and those kind of things. And if you have a good line of communication or we've done enough training with sergeants that they understand, like we as canines, we were talking about this, is we as canines 
when we think of an incident, we think of the area, whereas other people think of the house. Yep. And so getting a supervisor to understand the resources might seem like um, we're going to need more than what the average person, yeah. if we don't educate them on that, to get a successful deployment, containment, something like that. That's a good point. If you do that beforehand, and this and that, what you're talking about, you could sit down with a sergeant with a Google Earth printout and start showing that, you know, without just one-on-one, like this is, if this happens, this is what I'm going to need. So at least they understand that when you're in the middle of this, they understand why you're asking for these things. And, and well, and it's critical on even just a debrief on our patrol. Let's let's say somebody, a burglary suspect, and we explain our perimeters or our allocations for something like that so they understand that if it's a, a more of a critical incident, how important time, distance, and those resources yeah. are so that when those do come up, they've already had that line of communication with us that they can make that happen. Exactly, exactly. Any other final thoughts? I don't. I mean, well, I guess we'll wrap it up with the suspect in in this deal. I know he was apprehended in what probably about forty five minutes, maybe. Uh somewhere around there. Yeah, um, we were to narrow it down through a witness that saw him go yeah. across the street. So now we knew a definite direction of travel. And then uh, one of our patrol dogs had got was his area of responsibility was the yard he jumped into. And then the dog went into a tracking behavior and across the street and suspect was located in a tree house yeah. um, and eventually caught. Yeah. But even then with the uh, information and uncertainty of information, we were still looking for four or five other yeah. people. So yeah. the search continued. Not. Yeah. It didn't stop with that one. Yeah. Because you want to make sure at that yeah. point. And that's also, you know, obviously good for the defense. You can, you know, you're the only one in the area and not. We searched everywhere, so don't yeah. don't don't be. It's a good point. Don't be too quick to pull this perimeter down. You've got it set up. Slow things down. Really get all your information. And if we search ten more blocks, we search ten more blocks. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. We might find evidence. We might find. Maybe we do find an accomplice that we didn't know was out there. So now, Brian, I know you guys had kind of a similar situation, tragic situation, and I just kind of want to talk about know what your role was on that and I guess I'll just let you kind of explain what happened well unfortunately because we've all talked about in Colorado there's been a lot of violence of recent and in the history of Colorado I've been to a few major incidents um Platte Canyon was one and then we had ours in our city was YWAM where the active shooter came in and shot several people and then took off well that was one of the bigger ones where you saw communication outside resources because if something like that where you've got a guy going through the neighborhoods, how many people do you get, how big of a perimeter, um, those kind of things, where that was a learning point of, okay, we have to be able to reach out to other people. Because not many departments, when you think about it, even Denver, the size of them, when you have a major incident, you're going to need um, outside resources to either contain or to make uh, make whatever it is for the scene, those kind of sure. things. So I had learned a lot on that one with um, being able to deploy with other people. But then, unfortunately, in Arvada, we've had two officers killed in the line of duty um, within about a year of each other. And one of those incidents was um, where you learn not only, like Gilbert has talked about, I can or can't deploy, but we have the knowledge of the resources, that we are yeah. a, a big resource for commanders. Um, you're talking about crime scenes. Have we made all the apprehensions or arrests and how do we control that and those kind of things. And then nowadays with so many of these incidents, where is is there one, is there some kind of munitions or bomb threats, those kind of things. So for me, being able to take off that, okay, we think we have this contained, but now we've got to get this. So being able to say I've got the resources or the contacts to bring in bomb dogs, um, how we're going to move those teams, how do we, we need to do this clearly and safely. And again, it's, it's taking yourself out of, I don't get to deploy my dog, but I need to be able to do this. Yeah. And how, what can I bring to it? Yeah. Uh, and I know on the incident where we lost the first officer, it was just so many different things. How many shooters did we have? Um, were there other bombs? Those yeah. kind of things that um, I know Gilbert and you were both called in yeah. to help out. And we deployed because it's just, like I said, I have a narc dog. Yeah. Can't do any good. But I can tell you, I know who to get how to get them allocated, and then how to uh, deploy them for best practices. Yeah, and I think that goes, you know, I keep harping on it, but that goes to where, you know, if you're if you're an insular agency and only only doing stuff on your own, I think you're making a big mistake because I know that day 
I know you called me in the afternoon and it was right in the, I mean, the very beginning of that incident said I need a bomb dog and I got there really quite quickly because you guys didn't have one so it worked out well just from our familiarity and you knew and, it, and I'm sure you, you had 10 more that you could have called so make sure that you know you have you're familiar with everybody and then when I got there we we did a, a quick sweep of the suspect's car turned that over to the bomb squad and then there was you know just searching the perimeter to make sure that we didn't have another car or something else that was suspicious whatever there was by that time there were several other bomb dogs that were there but Brian you took that on yourself is to coordinate that so you're not a bomb dog handler but you had the the knowledge as they all right here's how here's I've got more resources here and Damian was there and we had several several other uh, uh, handler or I can't remember who was there but um, we had several other handlers that were there with bomb dogs and and you were comfortable then just saying, all right, you do this street, you do this street, and kind of set that up. Right, and that was a very large one as well. Um, and it was middle of the day, trying to control the chaos of all that, and saying, this is what I can bring, and all of us have to figure out what we bring as a resource, how we can help make it utilized, and how to make it easier for the bosses, because they don't do the dog stuff that we do, or they may not have done as many of the perimeters and those kind of things. So saying, okay, let me handle this part, and yeah. I'll tell you what I can do and how we can get it done. Yeah, because uh, there's so many moving parts to all these. Right. And each one, I mean, there's lots of other real important things that we have nothing to do with that I, I like the idea of at least being experts in, in the, what we do and the dog stuff is... is well, and unfortunately, you brought up a very key point. Um not only did we have ours, I also responded to the uh, Eric Talley's death where he was shot at the uh, King Supers in Boulder. Yep. Um, and recognizing, having been to many of these critical incidents, we have to know when it's not a dog scenario. Correct. Um, but we still have such great expertise in putting up perimeters, how to make movements, how to do those kind of things, yeah. containment, the size and those kind of things. We have to We have to police ourselves and say, listen, where can I be the best allocation or the best resource for that? And it may not be as deploying a dog, but it is in some kind of management of a, a situation. Sure. Yeah, and, the, and we're, we're fortunate we get a lot more tactical training than the officer, average officer. So maybe it's leave the dog in the car and join in a, t a team and, and you utilize, you know, take your rifle with you or something. And, and we have that. And I, I just want to stress that, it, you know, if you're a, a new handler and you're listening to this podcast, this this is going you're going to do this i mean it, i don't know any handler if you think of our you know our metro area here or the handlers i know across the country that if you've been a dog handler for five or six years you're going to be involved in this one of these large incidents either in your own agency or somewhere else and it, it could be your agency if you're a smaller agency calling for help or you could be a agency going and helping another another one so preparing and and thinking about what you like what you say Brian what you bring to the table and what your strengths are when you get to these different scenes you know I've been to several active shooters where uh, you know we had one in a warehouse and just the way it was set up it was not necessarily a dog search area there wasn't much to search but there was you know there's plenty to go through when we got by the time we were ready to deploy the suspect was down but we needed to go through and you know find other victims and and clear it and everything in a in a quick timely fashion because people could have been hurt so it wasn't a dog deal but but being able to help coordinate who was going to do which section because we do that every day so it was easy to, to set up well and you know we talked about I, I mentioned YWAM that was one where we initially responded active shooter wasn't a dog thing but he'd made it out so then we turned it into the dog sure. portion of now you're doing the locating this is the resource that we bring to the table of okay when and where do we not I mean we're still very all of us as canines have been through so many different situations that we understand uh, moving with teams, moving with officers, um, those kind of things in our role. So we're very valuable. At, we're good at being able to get into that portion, and then we have to recognize when we transition. Yeah, and that should be, again, part of training. You know, right. as trainers, we should all be setting up lots of decision-making scenarios where maybe it starts out as a dog call and then doesn't or it starts out as one that's not and turns into one or goes back and forth a few times and, and make make our handlers that we are you know handing we so the you know the three of us sitting here fortunately we have a ton of knowledge we should be handing that down and sometimes handing it down 
doesn't get the point so forcing them into making decisions and doing stuff mm-hmm. in in training will will be one way to hand hand it down sometimes you can't just explain it until until you put them under some stress and and make them you know win the situation and feel good about it and give them that confidence well and like you said nowadays so much of the training we we do dog training but we're also doing handler training and so much of our training is you're making a decision as whether this either is or is yes. not a dog deployment and it has to be based on an analysis not a reaction but an analysis and because all of us know in the society that we have now it's not can you do it but why did you do it exactly and so we stress more just decision making how to solve the problem before you even get there as to whether it's a canine problem or an officer problem that we have to figure out i do that during our uh weekly trainings i'll find some videos from around current videos and uh, I'll play it and then I ask my group is this a dog call should we have deployed if you did why yeah Um, and again with body cams and everything else coming into play how does it look to the public and are you able to justify doing what you did under this camera Um, so I I try to incorporate videos and tabletops yeah weekly um, in all of our training so that they get in that mentality of how do I articulate or why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. And I think that's a great <coughs> habit to get them, get handlers into is that when they watch it on, you know, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or something, kind of look at it with not a hypercritical eye because it's easy for the guys who are mm-hmm. the keyboard warriors mm-hmm. to say, oh, I could do better. That that gets pretty old pretty quick. But just to look at it with maybe a critical eye and applying your situation. So, you know, where, where my agency it might be okay to deploy and might be acceptable because you know it's the communities we serve the people we work for the da's that run things there's all kinds of things there that maybe it's okay in in agency a and the agency b the dog would never come out of the car and vice versa so everybody should kind of understand you know be very familiar with their own situation and figure out you know what and and then also look at the big picture because obviously i think when we talk about videos or any of these big situations these are times where uh, the canine teams and units can shine and prove our worth to our agency in lots of other ways than that people get bit by our dogs. And we it's it's crucial to be self-policing of the canine community right now. Yes. We have to, to make sure that we're relaying to everybody else, hey, it's everybody's hypercritical in, in use of forces, so we need to be the ones to step up and police ourselves and educate ourselves yeah. so that we can say, now I understand the parameters we're working in. Yeah. And that's, and that, I think that starts a lot with decision-making scenarios, you know, in, in training. So. Right. Well, I think this has been a real good, uh, you know, idea. Hopefully people are listening to it. Maybe we'll be motivated to set up some training and I'll put uh, your guys's contact information in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you just want to get some ideas or, or talk to any of the three of us, just shoot us an email and we can talk more about sending a, an email about how we've set up some of these trainings. But uh, hopefully everybody that's listening to this will maybe start thinking that first step is I'm going to uh, see what, what our resources are and then maybe try to set up some training going forward and be ready for that. Because um, unless you guys disagree, I think everybody who's listening to this, if they stay working a, a dog for any length of time, they're going to be involved in these types of incidents sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I, and the way things are going now, you just have to expect it. Yep. So, well, you guys, thanks. Uh, I know it, I just took some of your time out of your training night, so get back to work and go do some scenario training, and uh, I appreciate you guys stopping and doing this with me tonight. Happy. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of hits canine radio i hope you guys enjoyed this episode it's always fun to be able to get together with some of my friends and sit down and do a an in-person episode and uh talk to some of the guys that i've worked with for years and kind of share some of our experiences that we've had together hopefully you uh you know heard some of this and maybe you'll be motivated now to go out and set up some of your own multi-agency training and also maybe go out and start training with some other agencies and and meet other dog handlers. Here's a good example of, of three of us that you know will be lifelong friends long after we all leave these jobs just from uh, being in canine together. So it's one of the great side benefits of being in canine is our community is very, very tight. So 
Another place where you get to meet a lot of our community is going to the HITS canine seminars. So last year in Orlando, we had 1,200 cops with the total group. Uh, when you include all the vendors and instructors, we had about 1,500 canine professionals together for the week in Orlando. It was a great experience. The networking was fantastic. And next August, we're going to be in Phoenix. So if you go to hitscanine.net, all the information is there at hitscanine.net. You can uh, get early registration. Make sure you can get a room at the fantastic uh, resort. We're going to be at the Weston Kirkland Resort. Beautiful area. Of course, it's going to be hot as hell in Phoenix that time, but they have a pool and they have air conditioning inside, and it's going to be a, a really good event. Lots of stuff going on there that week uh, for Hits K9 2023 that we're wrapping up for. I haven't uh, done as many podcasts recently because I've been on the road a lot teaching e-collar classes. So if you're interested in learning about e-collar, using it, uh, in my opinion, using it the correct way, which is an, when you're not using the e-collar for punishment, just a way to uh, clear the dog's head and stimulate the dog at the proper amount to be able to communicate and shape the dog in a very uh, clean, clear, easy way for the dog to understand that gives you control that most handlers didn't realize they could ever achieve, which uh, what I like about that kind of control that you can learn how to do is that when you go back to this episode that we just talked about, if you don't spend your whole training night trying to do releases and recalls, and that's a very easy, clean thing for your dogs to do all the time, then your scenario uh, training where you can do decision making and make difficult uh, type decisions and harder scenarios, you can spend more time doing that when you're not doing just simple maintenance work. So that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching all these e-collar classes. I've been traveling the country quite a bit and I'm starting to book my schedule for 2023. So if you're interested in an e-collar class, all you have to do is shoot me an email at jeff at hitsk9.net. It's a three-day class. We handle all the registration, uh, bring the class to you, set up everything pretty easy process to set up a class and the uh, response I always get is very very positive so again just uh, email me jeff at hitsk9.net and for information about hits next year go to hitsk9.net also on our website we have a few other classes coming up uh, that you can check out as we start booking more classes the hands-on classes we do we do decoy classes and we also do some hands-on detector dog classes so those will be popping up on the website as we start to book them. And uh, all that information is, is there at hitsk9.net. So again, thanks for listening and stay safe out there. <laughs>